The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. <clears throat> Today is the seventh day, and final day of our winter seven day session, 5th of July 2019. And we're going to um, continue reading from. Bodhidharma's outline of practice from the path to Bodhidharma, the teachings of Shodo Harada Roshi. And um, we're on to the last, um, the last of the four um, kinds of practice. And this is entering through um, accord with the Dharma. And this is what Bodhidharma says. The principle of essential purity is the Dharma. Under this principle, all form is without substance, undefilable and without attachment, neither this nor that. The Vilamakirti Sutra says, in this Dharma, there are no living beings because it transcends the defiling concept of living beings. In this Dharma, there is no self, because it transcends the defiling concept of self. When the wise embrace and understand this principle, they are practicing in accord with the Dharma. Since in the Dharma there is fundamentally nothing to withhold, the wise practice generosity, giving their bodies, lives and possessions without any regret in their minds. Fully understanding the emptiness of giver, gift and recipient they do not fall into bias or attachment. Ridding themselves of all defilements, they aid in the liberation of living beings without grasping at appearances. In this way, they benefit themselves and others both, gracing the way of enlightenment. In the same fashion, they practice the other five perfections. To eliminate false thinking in practicing the six perfections means having no thought of practicing them. This is practicing in accord with the Dharma. Just a couple of things <clears throat> to explain here. It talks about um, the parameter of giving and generosity here, and then talks about um, in the same fashion. Uh, we practice the other, other five. So just uh, for the for the record, the record, the perfections are um, uh, virtues um, to be perfected by the bodhisattva um, in the course of her development. Uh, another way you could say it is essential ingredients of great ingredients of great awakening. The word paramita um, roughly translates as that which has reached the other shore. So the shore, the other shore of enlightenment. So they're, they're transcendent um, practices, you could say. And the, and the first of these practices is uh, dana paramita or generosity. 
and um, under under this this heading of of uh, dana paramita um, loving kindness and compassion are included here uh, you could say could say that 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 generosity is is loving kindness in action so that the emphasis here is on on the action that comes out of no separation which is another way of saying love rather than on love as it is in um, quite a few other religious traditions the second parameter is shila shila parameter um, this is um, usually translated as, as discipline or ethical conduct. It's what our, our preset ceremony that we're having the day after tomorrow emphasizes. Behavior um, that uh, leads to liberation, both for the for the actor and the and the ones she or he is um, acting on, you could say. So the the the, the bare minimum for the parameters is, is non-harm. The third one is kshanti parameter, or forbearance, patience. Accepting circumstances and re requiting um, animosity, which were the first and second of Bodhidharma's practices, both would 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 fit in here under um, Kshanti Paramita. And kind of in in the back of uh, our forbearance and our patience um, is um, an understanding of the laws of karma, the laws of cause and effect. The fourth parameter is virya parameter, um, effort or, or energy. So the two main characteristics that our effort um, needs to be um, the perfection of, of virya. It's got to be, it's got to be resolute really is this attitude of 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 whatever it takes to to attain the way you could say but it also needs to be skillful skillful effort means effort that isn't diverted from it's in its goal Not diverted by anything. Or when it is diverted, 
it finds its way back. So Japanese saying, seven times down, eight times up, such is life. Then there's dhyana paramita. Um, this is the paramita of meditation. And we could say it's 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 the it, within this parameter that we find our our method, the 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 um, the way of getting through the illusion of ego, seeing through it, cutting through it. through our, um, our absorption in the practice that we can directly experience ourselves as not separate from other beings. And through our meditation we can, we can experience what's known as the great death, which is the death of our delusions, of everything that gets in between us and life. And then the last, the, the kind of crowning uh, parameter is prajna parameter, realization of, of, of great wisdom, the wisdom that, that goes beyond and this is um, could say it's our focus in Sishin and that's why we have Manjushri the Bodhisattva of transcendent wisdom on our altar holding his sword the delusion cutting sword the sword that cuts in one So in this in this final part of Bodhidharma's text, it talks quite a lot about um, generosity, about dana paramita. But um, it, wrapped into this is the implication that that he's also talking about the other five. Now the concept that people may be somewhat unfamiliar with in in this passage is um, is when he quotes the Vilamakirti Sutra. In this Dharma there are no living beings because it transcends the defiling concept of living beings. And in this Dharma there is no self because it transcends the defiling concept of self. Um, why, why, should, why would living beings and self be defiling concepts? Well, it's because it's because they they divide the world, they they divide the indivisible. You could say this this teaching is also found in the Diamond Sutra, um, but kind of expanded version of it. And we're going to be looking at it as part of our Dharma study coming up. Um, I think one, a week from Sunday, our first session. 
Um, and in the Diamond Sutra, it talks about four ways that we look at other people um, that and other beings uh, that are distortions or or uh, obscurations of the truth, and they are as self, person, living being, and lifespan. And so here we get two of the four: uh, self and and uh, living being. We've been um, talking on and off all through Sishin about about self and and how it's um, tenuous at best and and mistaken in terms of how we relate to the world. But why living beings? As I said, it's because because these concepts um, split up the world and that's that in itself is is defiling to to um, diminish or obscure things as they are and when we think in, uh, in terms of living beings then the way that we are dividing up the world implicitly is into um, animate and inanimate so there are the, the there are, is the um, there are the um, those of us who are living beings could possibly say sentient beings and then there are the others but when we look when we look closely that's a it's a false division if we just look at our own our own metabolism think of the role that that salt plays in us and all other kinds of minerals that we can't live without so you usually think of minerals as being inanimate but that's we really can't say that same with the air we breathe or, or materials we, we use to build our houses or um, other things. So to to see to see things as inanimate is not to see them fully fully okay and now um, just we'll go to <coughs> Haroshi's commentary. Though this is the fourth and last part, it is in fact the most important. In Christianity, we have from the beginning God. But in Buddhism, we do not put the Buddha first. We have the Buddha, the truth he preached, and those who follow it. But that truth, the Dharma, comes first. On the 8th of December, under the Bodhi tree, the Buddha saw the morning star 
and realised his true mind, exclaiming, That's it! That's it! That's me shining! Having spent six years doing severe training, getting rid of everything, in that deep samadhi, he realised that new life, that new life out of a place of complete emptiness. What was the substance there, that body of nothingness, seeing the trees and hearing the birds? What is that? What is that which is clear-minded, that which is beyond expression? This question of the Buddhas is our question. 2,500 years may have passed, but that question is still the burning question for us as human beings. Believing that he could not make anyone understand, he thought about keeping this experience to himself, since no one would believe him anyway. But it is said that when he returned to his deep samadhi, the gods came to him and told him that he must share this experience and guide others to it through expedient means. Probably there were no gods actually talking to him, but rather a difficult inner struggle as he tried to figure out how to communicate an experience that was beyond words to the rest of the world. Think here of, of, um, of Byron Katie and, and how she had to actually literally um, relearn language to be able to speak about what had happened to her. Shoda Harada says the probably no gods actually talking to him um, you could probably say that that it was an inner, inner archetype it's said to be in Shakya the the the, um, the king of the gods so even to have um, king of the gods come to you in a dream means that uh, He's bearing a pretty important message. And what, what would our world have been like if he had decided not to share his experience? He at last knew that he had to teach this to all others. He had to teach his deeply spiritual fellow Indians. They already honoured many gods and prayed to mountains and trees. But the Buddha knew from his own experience that even if there were many gods, there was not even one to be prayed to. There was nothing as wonderful, as sublime, as that very mind which he had now realised. This was the Dharma, the source of all life of the sun, the moon, the flowers, and all the 10,000 things. 
This was the source of life consciousness, the roots of Mu. This was what we have given the borrowed name of our true mind. This clear, bright mind is all that exists, and it itself gives birth to all those gods. This mind that the Buddha had newly realized, this deep life within each of us, was given the name of Dharma. We give it all these names. None, none of them, we, we give, them, give it names because of our own need for names and yet it is it is completely beyond any any name we can give it because names limit the buddha brought forth the four noble truths the eightfold path the twelve ways of causation, and went to teach of his experience to his five training friends, all who attained enlightenment on the spot after hearing what he said. Um, so he, he's just referring here to the, some of the main teachings of the Buddha, Four Noble Truths, Eightfold Path, and the, the twelve ways of causation, that's another way of talking about the twelve links of dependent co-arising, which we touched on yesterday, some of them. And his training friends were the, the five others who, with whom he did his, his years of ascetic practices and who had left him in disgust when he took nourishment and seemed to be selling out. Uh, but were, when they saw him after his great, great awakening, they, were, they saw that something had changed and they were open to his, to his teaching. These were the first Sangha members. At just that, that time, there came a rich young man who had used up all of his money and was now broke. He was going to the mountains to commit suicide when he met the Buddha. The Buddha told him of his realization, and the young man attained enlightenment at the spot and became his next disciple. We can shift from deep despair to awakening. Not even the, the deepest despair can uh, obscure our true nature. The deepest despair is not separate from our true nature. Then the rich young man's father came looking for him. He too heard of the Buddha's realization and became enlightened himself and was the first to call him Buddha, the Awakened One. The Buddha taught in a way that could be applied to anyone, but it was all explanation that had to break through explanation. He taught that it was necessary first to realize the true source, not with conceptualizations, but by actually knowing for oneself the genuine essence, or it would be nothing more than interpretation. The Dharma in its essence is pure. It is above defilement and attachments. It cannot be soiled. It cannot be decorated. 
It does not increase, it does not decrease. It has been there from the origin and it cannot die. Consciousness can die, but its source, its roots, do not. That which gives birth to consciousness does not die. There is never too much nor too not enough. There is never too much or not enough. In every single case, the source is just as it is, never soiled or clean. It is sometimes called the universe, but that is already an imagined thing, an explanation. Shakyamuni said when he gave the flower to Mahakashapa, I have the true Dharma eye, the marvelous mind of Nirvana, the true form of the formless, the subtle Dharma gate, which does not set up words and phrases and is a separate transmission outside the scriptures. This I entrust to you, Mahakashapa. This is a famous statement um, that appears in one of the koans, and it is, is like the, the origin myth of the Zen school, this, this Dharma transmission when, when the Buddha holds up and twirls a flower between his fingers and Mahakashapa smiles when every, while everyone else is just sort of, duh, what's happening here? <laughs> I have found mind, that place where nothing gets stuck he was saying, not that place of no thinking, not that place of saying when we walk that we are not walking, of saying when we sit that we are not sitting, but the place where we are not stuck on the thought of those things, that place of just becoming that sitting, of just becoming the life energy of whatever we are doing, of whatever comes to us. So um, he, he's making, Haroshi's making an important point here about emptiness. We'll be talking all, all, all the time about um, emptiness of the self. It's not negation. It's not nihilism, but rather a return to, to or a discovery of things just as they are. Uh, but I think it's a it's a it's a fairly common misconception or misunderstanding um, that that um, this te this teaching of emptiness, which is so important, um, is uh, a, ne a, neg a negative kind of thing or a, or a form of nihilism. Emptiness um, does doesn't mean nothingness. Rather, it refers to, to the fluid and insubstantial nature of things. It's, it's the no-thingness of things. Um, the Dalai Lama um, sp spoke about this. He says, uh, because there is a form, we can talk about its non-existence. If there was no form, there could not be emptiness of form. 
as there are phenomena we can talk about as being empty, we say there is a basis for emptiness. Without that basis, emptiness would be inconceivable. It's a subtle, it's a subtle thing that he's saying here, but it's an important one to understand. There's a um, really fine book called The Quantum and the Lotus, which is about the about all the resonances between Buddhist teaching on emptiness and, and quantum physics. And um, in that, the um, um, Mathieu Ricard, who's one of the kind of dis people discussing these two things in the book, uh, quotes one of the Perfection of Wisdom Sutras, the fundamental treatise of the perfection of wisdom where it says those who become fixed on emptiness are said to be incurable and then he explains why incurable <coughs> because while a belief in the real existence of ph phenomena is dissipated by meditation on emptiness if you get attached to emptiness itself making it an object of your belief you fall into nihilism the same text therefore goes on. Consequently, the, the wise abide neither in being nor in non-being. It's a big trap if we get attached to emptiness and make it into an idea. Of course, you're making it into a thing. When um, It's not a thing. Emptiness itself is empty. Another place where we get stuck on in regard to emptiness is the connotations that this word can have in, in Western culture and experience, you could say even, where, where um, there's this um, tradition almost of um, of the emptiness or the void as being a, a dark, uh, uh, frightening uh, place. Uh, you know, the, 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 the emptiness of, of the existentialist, Jean-Paul Sartre. So it's a, it's a, it's a place that fills, can fill us with, with dread. This is something that Mark Epstein writes about in his book, um, Going to Pieces Without Falling Apart. He writes, I knew that emptiness or shunyata from a Buddhist perspective was an understanding of one's true nature, an intuition of the absence of inherent identity in people or in things. Inherent identity, that's an important thing. It's not that we don't have an identity but that it, it, our identity itself is something fluid and shifting. It was the core psychological truth of Buddhism. Emptiness, from a Western perspective, seemed to me to be a tortured feeling of distress, an absence of vitality, a sense of not being quite real enough, of disconnection. And, and so he went and talk to a, a Tibetan teacher about this. And the, the, the teacher made an effort to kind of see if he could 
could turn around this 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 view. His, his name was Gallic Rinpoche. Don't be so afraid of it, Gallic was saying. You can never understand what the Buddhists mean if you are afraid of your personal emptiness. The problem with the Western experience of emptiness that it was mixed with so much fear. So it may be, again, we talk about this the negative capability, maybe um, necessary to... to um, endure um, the, the feelings of our, our own personal emptiness um, a sense of a sense of being of being not real uh, disconnected we may have to go through that in order to to get to the, something deeper which is an emptiness that is is um, vast, full of life, full of promise, source of everything. A little later, Epstein writes, emptiness is vast and astonishing, the Buddhist approach insists. It does not have to be toxic. When we grasp the emptiness of our false selves, we are touching a little bit of truth. If we can relax into that truth, we can discover ourselves in a new way. But without a method of looking into emptiness, most of us are at risk of being overwhelmed by fear. In meditation, there is such a method for looking into emptiness without being, being overtaken by the fear of the dis disconnections of the past. And here, working with the teacher is is uh, one of the ways that we can can um, approach our fear, and and um, teacher can kind of normalize it and and just just say keep going. Back to our commentary. The true Dharma I, the source of all that is, this is what the Buddha passed on to his disciples, who continued passing it on to their disciples, to, to Bodhidharma, who passed it on to Hui Ke. But what was transmitted? When people see someone point a finger at the moon, they always look at the finger. When the moon, of when the point, of course, is to see the beautiful moon. The moon we must see is that understanding that was passed on by each person to another who became pure by realizing that source of all, the true root. To know the Dharma, our true nature, to experience that same thing which the Buddha experienced, to understand each other, we have to experience this for ourselves. It cannot be found in thinking about it or in reading a sutra or in trying to understand it with our heads. So he uses here this classical image of the, 
the finger pointing at the moon and we get caught up in the finger rather than than um, realizing that we have to we have to um, turn towards that moon ourselves not be not settled just for the finger anyone who's who's had a dog will probably have experienced when you when you point they can't find their their ball and you you point to where the ball is and they come they come over and sniff your finger mm-hmm. we do that quite a bit To know the Dharma, our true nature, to experience that same thing which the Buddha experienced. This is a, this is an amazing thing that that um, we we have the potential to understand the same thing that the Buddha saw. Our our kensho is not different in substance. Uh, to that which the Buddha understood, but just in extent, you could say that that um, our most people's kenshos are just like seeing through a, a, a small hole and looking at the sky through a, a piece of paper with a small hole in it, and we see the, that a tiny little bit of sky through that hole. Whereas, whereas for the Buddha, the the, the piece of paper is completely gone and he sees the whole of that sky all its um, fathomlessness but then we have the opportunity to endlessly enlarge that whole through our through our ongoing practice When the Buddha was about to die, Mahakashapa asked, To whom shall we turn to to guide us when you are gone? The Buddha replied, Take refuge in the Dharma. Find guiding light in your own true pure mind. Never look outside yourselves for it. Even if there seems to be something wonderful outside yourself, that will only lead to confusion and doubt. If his disciples had not themselves attained enlightenment as well, they would not have been able to understand. If they had only read about it or heard about it, their experience would not have been the real thing. Through 2,500 years of history, this life energy has continued, filling up the eyes of those who could see. They all could see with those eyes of the Buddha. They could see the whole world clearly we too can experience it like that. When asked why did Bodhidharma come from the West, Joshu answered, the oak tree in the garden. Simply that oak tree, right in front of his eyes. That was it. Joshu was deeply enlightened, completely selfless, egoless, and true when he said this. It did not have to be an oak tree. It could have been anything. It could have been mountains. It could have been the rivers. 
It could have been a different kind of tree. It could have been a stone. What is right in front of your eyes? Are you becoming one with it? Is your state of mind such that there is not a stain left? Cut through to the core, vast and wide. This was Joshua's state of mind when he said, the oak tree in the garden. The tui singing. The breeze on our face. The blue of the carpet. We open our eyes, we open our ears, we feel sensations in our bodies and minds. But isn't it always the past that we are looking at? Yesterday's menu? What is it that is right here in front of us, right now, completely new? It comes to us, touches us in our whole body, fresh and alive. What is it? Are you feeling this, knowing this as your own experience? If you are tasting this, then you know Joshua's state of mind well. He is not stuck in feelings, thoughts and ideas. He is one with society, one with the whole world. He is not stuck inside himself, but right there, completely filling up the heavens and the earth. We must promise ourselves that we too will understand it like this. settle for less than this. To keep practicing, going on and on without any kind of sense of, of where it's going to take us. Or of an, or of an end. There really are no, no endings or beginnings. It's important to understand this about Sishin. We have, we have a, a, a closing ceremony, but life goes on. Our true nature is pure. This is the Dharma. This is what Bodhidharma is teaching us here. In our basic humanity, there is no color, no space, no time. It is empty from the origin. As Rinzai puts it, this lump of red fresh flesh, say that again, as Rinzai puts it, in this lump of red flesh, there is a true person of no rank, always coming in and going out. If you have not seen it yet, see it now, see it now. This true person of no rank is neither woman nor man, neither rich nor poor, neither clever nor foolish, neither adult nor child, nor does it have a colour or shape. And yet, from our eyes, it becomes mountains, rivers, birds, and the oak tree in the garden. From our ears, it becomes the song of the birds, the song of the wind, all the sounds of the ten thousand things.
from our nose it becomes the fragrance of the flowers and all the smells of the ten thousand things. With our body we feel heat, cold, pain and all the other sensations possible. This person of no rank always coming and going freely. If you have not noticed it yet, even while using it yourself, at this very moment meet it, right now. We are urged to live in this way by Rinzai. This life force is neither good nor bad, nor is it stained by the outer world. We are usually stained by likes and dislikes coming attached to things that bring us joy and trying to avoid what we dislike. But because our very centre is pure and unstained, there is truly nothing to be attached to. In truth, there is no such being as a sentient being because everything is part of the basic true nature. In the Dharma, in our purest self, there is no ego, because we are not attached to a small self. Those who have realized the truth, who have understood it with their own experience, have the same understanding as the Buddha, because the mind that is understood is the same mind, without any attachment, moving freely. To live in this way is to practice the Dharma. One who is understood deeply will always be living in this way, easily, Nothing's really destroyed when we see into our new, into our true nature, because what what we see through has no substance in the first place. If you live in this in this essence of the Dharma, there is an unchanging center which has no wish to possess. It can be truly sad when meeting a sad person and be ready to do whatever is possible for a suffering or miserable person, helping not just physically but with the totality of one's life energy. The closest thing to this completely selfless functioning may be the love of a mother for her child. It can be called instinct, yet it is more than that. It is possible to call it the purest human emotion Yet it is not limited to humans, it is found in animals as well. Practicing charity, giving offerings, never being greedy with property, body or life, this greatness of mind is found in one who truly loves mankind with a pure, clear mind. It is the one expression of the understanding of true mind. And this, this is maybe a good place to, to finish as our session ends and we return to our daily lives to um,
to bring this this attitude of um, a mother, as we say in the in the Metasutta, protecting her child, her only child. If we can bring that spirit to everything we do, as, as I mentioned before, love is not talked about much in Zen, but the talk is not what is needed. What is needed is love in action, love in our actions, in our response to this great earth of ours. To, to beings, human and non-human, to things, animate and non-animate. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow to attain all beings without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha I vow to attain. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.org dot org dot nz